Right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the passage that we read together. Genesis chapter 28. Genesis 28. And my, my text, verse 16 and 17, you probably guessed it already. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he, that is Jacob, was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Shall we just commit our time? Lord, uh, may the minister decrease now and Christ lifted. We ask that souls will be melted and that eyes would be fixed on the darling of heaven. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, as you know, my intention over the next couple of weeks, not eight weeks, like I said this morning, don't panic, four weeks, eight sermons, is to look up, as it were, to look uh, forward and to look at him, to look at him. And uh, my family, you've already heard one member this evening, uh, we were in a conference recently. It was 30 degrees, uh, London, as I can see some Londoners here. You know, it gets very hot in London, especially during that recent heat bout. Uh, my son was upset. He was really unhappy, bless him. He was in the, in the pram going around crying. And Yenna, we were ready to go home. It had been a good conference, a really good conference, but it was time to go home. I know this is a really cliched illustration, but it's, it's a lovely one as well. We found our way back to the M4, you know, from West London. And it's a little bit of a maze, isn't it? A Welshman can only be in London three days max. He starts getting a yearning for the hills. And uh, we eventually arrived at the seven. You see the bridge, don't you? It's changed its name recently. And another 40 minutes, and we're nearing, we're getting near home now. We have to pass Cardiff, I'm afraid. It's a bit, <laughs> a bit further. And we pull the car into our little terrace, and Seth starts jumping. And he's not even through the door yet, but he's conscious that he's getting nearer home. And the creaking gates, he's getting happier. My son is nearing to where he belongs. This is a poor illustration, but please remember it as we meditate on this wonderful passage of Scripture this evening. You know, this morning we considered the disappearance of heaven, didn't we? And that frightful prospect for the unbeliever, that they will never see heaven. But this evening... Uh, I want to consider what, what is heaven? You know, what, you know it's, very, it's, a, it's a word that's bandied about, isn't it? And yet, what is it? And in the Old Testament, God gladly revealed to the ancient church what heaven meant. They weren't completely ignorant, you know. God was equated with life. And through the Scriptures, we see him revealing, like a ball of thread being unwound that's not to say that they were ignorant, that he will not abandon those who are his. Do you remember what I said this morning? I am the God of Abraham. Not, not what I was the God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, 
and Jacob. And I think this passage in Genesis 28 is one we, we, we sometimes overlook as irrelevant when we think of the hereafter. But my, my argument is that when we ask the question that we're considering tonight, what is heaven? I think this passage will really help us. So are you ready? Let's, let's get into it. Usually when you ask people in the world, you know, what is heaven? It's all about me. Have you noticed that? They say things like, it's that happy place where they all are. You know, they assume that you can reject Christ all your life, but they're all there. And uh, yes, it's where I'll be rewarded. It's where I'll be safe. Even Christians, we can sometimes weary in the pilgrimage, start talking like this. The land with harps and a benevolent God where we waltz in. And the poet, um, sorry, I'm quoting poets today. Heaven, Emily Dickinson writes, is what I cannot reach, the apple on the tree, provided it do hopeless hang. That heaven is for me. It's not very uh, hopeful. The colour on the cruising cloud, the interdicted land, Behind the hill, that house behind, their paradise is found. There's that kind of uh, oh, mystical kind of idea of what heaven is. But look at our text. Surely the Lord is in this place. And Jacob goes on to give four observations, doesn't he? Four observations. And that's what we'll be considering together tonight. Can you see them? The Lord is in this place is number one. But, and that's the one that we'll really dwell on tonight, because that's the key, isn't it? Do you remember the New Testament saints? Heaven for them is, was where Jesus is. That's heaven. If Jesus isn't in heaven, it's not heaven for us, you see. Secondly, how awesome is this place? He can't, he can't help it. He's got a, it's not just the Lord is here, it's awesome. And there's a fear here, isn't there? Thirdly, this is the house of God. He gets really specific now. This is the house of God, he says. And this is the gate of heaven. The gate to heaven. So let's look at that first point. The Lord is in this place, all right? The Lord is in this place. Come with me to ancient Canaan. Let me introduce you to Jacob. You can imagine him here. He's not hairy like his brother. <laughs> He's quite youthful looking. He's a trickster. He's from well-known stock. Grandson to Abraham. Son to Isaac. He's, of, he's from the family, isn't he? And I don't know how much you know about Jacob, but he had two experiences, didn't he, of God? Two experiences. One in this chapter... If there was a Bible trivia quiz, I test you now. The other in chapter 32. Chapter 32. Two names. Bethel, Peniel. Do you notice the, the, the little two words at the end? El, El. God. Yeah? The Hebrew for God. He tricked his father in chapter 27 into giving him his brother's blessing. You'll remember. That's why I didn't just take that comment about his hairiness out of the blue. He had to put skins on his arms and he to trick his old father who was dimming in his sight. 
and he robs his brother of that precious promise that Isaac bestows on Jacob instead. He's a trickster. He's a real, he's a lad, isn't he? <laughs> and he's fleeing his brother's wrath, and in the meantime, he's also looking for a wife. I was in the Alps with my father a few years ago. Um, I didn't get it very high. <laughs> the Alps are quite hard, you know. And we were on, that, on the paths, and it's often the night envelops you like a blanket. You haven't got time to get to the hostel or even put up your tent. Sometimes you've just got to lie down on the path. And it gets, I take my lenses out, and then everything gets fuzzy. And then I wait until morning. It's like that here. Jacob finds a dip in the curvature of the ground, and he finds a smooth pillow, which is welcome. And we're told in verse 11 that he's benighted. And like I said in my reading, it's a long walk. I wonder if you realize how far 500 miles is. It's about if you went out from Witchard Road up to Fort William. It's a long walk, isn't it? And the event we read about happens two, walk, two days in near a place called Luz. Luz. And the Bible isn't giving us a step-by-step -step account. It's zooming in on this special evening. And what an evening it would be. He's caught in the dark. He sleeps on the stone. And he has a dream, doesn't he? And it's a better dream than Martin Luther King. And it's, it's more than a dream, though, isn't it? It's a personal experience of God of God. Do you have that personal, experiential, an experience of God? You know, in the 18th century, people, there were a group of people called the Sandemanians, a very fancy name, right? Don't worry, I won't bore you. But basically, they thought that it was enough just to know up here about God. But we know, don't we, that it's more than just head knowledge. He experiences God in this passage. Yes, in a very unique way, but it's still an experience of the God of Israel. And what does he behold? Three features. Follow me now. Verse 12 of Genesis 28. Then he dreamed and behold, you as a reader are told to look, look, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Secondly, verse 13, behold, look, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the covenant name of God, Adonai, who stood above it or some translations have it, that the Lord stood beside him. Which almost suggests that the Lord kind of begins on top of the ladder, but is standing beside him. And then thirdly, there's a third behold. Look at verse 15. Behold, I am with you. These are the promises. The promises. I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. What a dream. What a dream. It talks about separation again, that recurring theme of the Bible. It talks about a solution, doesn't it? A ladder between the separate, separating parts. And thirdly, it suggests a story. 
So let's look at that story, because before Jacob was born, I told you we'd be going to Eden a lot. His ancestors lived in paradise, and that's a word we'll delve into even more next week. And one of the best things about paradise, like I said this morning, was this God walking with them. I've said this before. There's a spiritual element here as well as I think uh, something beyond as well. In the beginning, the Bible tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. And listen to Ted Donnelly here. I can recommend Ted Donnelly. Here we are, the bookshop plug. Heaven and Hell. It's a very good book with a yellow rose on the front. You can't miss it. There you are. Talk to Robin after. <laughs> it was a universe of stunning variety and richness. The man and the woman, God's splendid image bearers. Notice, man and a woman. That is God's order here. Image bearers, the Lord walking with them in unbroken fellowship in the garden in the cool of the day, all reflected the excellencies of God. The glory of God shone forth. It was all very good. No death, no sin, no fiery barriers like we saw this morning. Nothing blocking them from the presence of God. But something happened that interrupts that fellowship. Our representative, Adam, disobeyed, didn't he? You might say, oh, not this old story again, but it's really important. They fell, we fell. We could no longer be in that high position. And the Garden of Eden was on a mountain because the rivers flowed from it, didn't it? There was this kind of wonderful sort of um, thing. It wasn't just a physical thing. It sort of revealed spiritual realities as well. Death entered the world. From now on, we're down here and God is up there. There's a gap. There's a problem. And we try and climb up with silly towers, don't we? Tower of Babel. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. And we're still building towers, aren't we? We go up in rockets. We try and freeze cells so that we live forever. What is all of this? They're trying to be God, aren't they? We try and break the barrier of death with science. Futile. Because we know what happens. The Lord came down, didn't he? And judged them for their folly, scattering and confusing them. You see, that wall of fire, that separating curtain that we were introduced to this morning, can only be removed when sin is resolved, you see? That's what Leviticus is teaching the people. It's not just that book you, you all skip in your quiet times. I hope not. <laughs> it's teaching people about cleanliness, about holiness, about access. Who can ascend? Do you remember my sermon in May? It's a long time ago now. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Psalm 24. Clean hands, pure hearts. 
God keeps reminding the ancient people that he is above them. He comes on mountains. Sinai is this wonderful picture, a reminder of the original heavenly mountain that defines the paradise of God. He is now above sin. He cannot be in a place where there is sin and death. A great gap. And yet, I don't want to depress you. In spite of all the sin, and in spite of all the tragedy, in spite, there is one uncontaminated, created realm where God's glory, now we get into the essence of heaven, right? Where God's glory shines in transcendence, that big word meaning far above, transcendence, beauty. And the story of the Bible is how God is closing that gap. Heaven is coming back. So there's no excuse for a frown here tonight. If you're a Christian, we now have a future. It's about the revelation and restoration of God's glory. Glory. And that is a far richer and more wonderful prospect in Christ than Adam and Eve ever had in Eden. The first thing he does in this grand plan is provide a ladder. We are getting there. The ladder, of course, is a picture. The reality is far more vivid. I used to sleep on a bunk bed. I know it's hard to imagine now. It's a long way up there. Uh, My sister was on the bottom bunk. I was on the top bunk. And one night I heard a wrestling in the attic. And suddenly I felt like, you know, that story in the Bible, things were, flakes were falling on my eyes as I was reading the Rupert Annual. And as I was reading my Rupert Annual, I looked up and there was a hole. And Dad's great big foot came through. And then the hole got bigger. And I could see his face, sorry, Nathan, waving down at me. You see, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Jacob's dream became a reality. Something broke through. God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. A God who interrupts darkness. A God who descends. A God who spans the impossible. And 30 years later, when that little baby, that darkness disturber, would grow up, he meets a chap called Nathaniel, doesn't he? And do you remember what he says to Nathaniel? He says, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending. Upon who? The Son of Man. Christ says that he is the ladder. He's the stairway to heaven. What is heaven? Heaven is where God is and his glory shines. It's where a Christian longs to be with his saviour, Emmanuel, God with us. Do you remember what he says to them? I will come again and will take you to myself. Beautiful. Secondly, Jacob doesn't, that captures something of the 
God is teaching our patriarch, Jacob, what is heaven? It's where God dwells in that uncontaminated glory. But secondly, it's awesome. Awesome. This is back to Jacob now. Heaven exists not for your little kind of futures, even though it's actually a big future in Christ. But no, heaven exists for God's own glory. And he gives Jacob just a a taster of that glory. Look at verse 17. He tells us that he was afraid. Um, You know, I I think I would have been a bit... uh, (laughs) Nervous as well, more than nervous. Remember the shepherds when they encountered God's glory on the Judean hill? They fell as if dead. And we think of Isaiah and John. They fall as if dead. They're afraid. And my friends, God's glory is too much for us when we are mortals tainted by sin. He is fire, isn't he? We can't just stroll into heaven. You know that. When we come face to face with God, even in our own little lives, and we see our sin, and our sin disturbs our communion with our lovely God, we realize that we're so unworthy, and it's right for us to be afraid. We need someone from without us to be that ladder, that one who brings us through the fire, isn't it? Who takes the fire in our place. We need a mediator's. A mediator, not us, sorry. The angels here. Have you seen, we, we often forget about the angels in this story, don't we? Notice they're ascending and descending. These are not the mediators. We mustn't be tempted to worship the angels. But the ladder is joins earth to heaven, you see. It functions almost in some kind of spiritual Cosmic architecture whereby these angels are depicted as coming up and down. And they're ministering. One commentator writes, Jesus enables all the business between heaven and earth, leading the angels in their ministry. Mustn't completely forget angels either. Spurgeon didn't forget angels. I love Spurgeon. He just goes for it, doesn't he? The covenant angel, the Lord Jesus, at the head of all the bands of heaven, surrounds with his army. Do you need to hear this tonight? Surrounds with his army the dwellings of the saints. Like hosts entrenched, so are the ministering spirits encamped around the Lord's chosen to serve, to succor, to defend, and to console you. We are in a spiritual battle, but we're not alone. But they are not the ladder. Don't focus on the angels, brothers and sisters. My friends, if you're facing God this evening and your sin is haunting you and barring you, don't focus on the angels. See, when the pure light shines on me and I experience the wooing of the Spirit... It's like a lamp, isn't it, shining into my dusty heart. And it's not always good. It's never good, actually. I see the darkness within and I say, Lord, have mercy on me, me, the sinner. By nature, heaven is too awesome, too glorious, too distant 
for me. I don't need an angel. The angels are wonderful, but what I need is more than anything, is a ladder, a ladder. Give me, do you know this? Can you say this in your heart? Give me but Jesus. Give me my Savior, my Lord crucified. Thirdly, this is the house of God. Wherein thine honor dwells. It's a favorite hymn here, isn't it? The joy of thine abode, all earthly joy excels. What Jacob was experiencing here was not the final state. It wasn't even the intermediate state. But he had a glimpse, didn't he, of heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. This is the house of God. He gets a taster, a flicker, doesn't he? Notice the transformation of, of the name. Luz transforms into Bethel. Oh, I, you know, we pray in there and we pray, may Heath be transformed into Bethel. May Heath be a place where he is. Verse 18 is great, isn't it? He takes his stone pillar, sets it up like a cairn or a pillar. Is it a column? I don't know how big it was. It doesn't matter, does it? He sets it up and he pours oil on it. A drink offering of some sort and pours it on the rock. He calls the place Bethel. And in the Old Testament, we're aware the places had spiritual resonance with people. He'd go back to Bethel. That's a lovely pattern, actually. Do you go back? You know, you say, oh, I feel I'm not close to God anymore. There's a pattern here that we're being taught in Scripture. Go back to where God met you before. Okay, I'm not talking about ladders now, yeah? I'm talking about John Stott saying that if he wanted to have a glimpse of heaven and to have a glimpse of his Savior, he listened to Handel's Messiah. And I go back through skewing now and again and I drive past the cherry blossom tree on 13 Park Avenue. I know this is personal, but I don't care because it's important. And I drive past that tree and I remember on April the 14th, 2000, I was born again. There are places that remain important for us. But, but, oh, but, Jerusalem, wouldn't it, would later become the focal point of Jewish devotion. It became a kind of another visual aid for the people of God. But, look what Jesus says in John 4. To that woman at a well. Woman. Jesus replied, Believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, remember? And His worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. Matthew 18 says, where two or three or 200 or 300 are gathered in my name, I'm there. I'm there. 
that doesn't mean the places no longer mean anything to us. Jacob didn't go to heaven, did he? But he saw something of an advanced installment, a little outpost of heaven on earth. A church can be a genuine experience of heaven. Do you believe that? Or have you forgotten it? Because your heads are so down on the ground. God's glory is not confined to this unseen realm, is it? The Bible tells us that with grace in our hearts, the glory also begins in our hearts, yeah? We are pilgrims now. We are exiles now. You're an exile going home. Going home like like my little baby boy. We're going home. But if you're not a Christian... There is no ladder. There is no way. There is no life. There is no heaven for you. God says, I love you. God says, I prepare a place for you. God is inviting you to his home. But you say, no thanks. I'll take heaven, but I won't bother with your son. How would you feel if someone walked into your house and just said, oh, hello, I'm here now. I've never, known, I've never spoken to you in my life. I've never paid you any attention in church. But I'm here now. It's ludicrous. This is the house of God. It's not your house, yeah? Don't think of it as Nathan's mansion in heaven. No, it's God's house. Be sure that you know him before you face him. Otherwise, you know what he's going to say to you, don't you? Depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. But finally, Jacob says something lovely, doesn't he? Not only is this where God dwells, not only is it an awesome, glorious place, not only is it a Bethel, the house of God, it's also a kind of gateway to heaven, fourthly. And when God draws near to us on earth, it does sometimes feel like we're in the gates, doesn't it? It makes sense, doesn't it? For us, this is something we can experience now. When he comes in spirit, not only do we experience rest, not the final rest, but we do have rest. We experience joy. We experience peace and wonder. And aren't these all little, like, um, like my wedding, um, we went for this wonderful meal before our wedding. It's a good thing too, because I didn't enjoy my own wedding meal for other reasons. They gave us samples to eat. We, can sam- we get given samples. God is so good, you know. In my prayer, I quoted Daniel Rowlands' prayer. Oh, heaven, heaven, heaven. Have you been to Llangaethor? We're going on a historical trip next Saturday. I'm quite looking forward to it. Not to Llangaethor, but it's nearby. And you see this white preacher on a plinth holding the Bible in one hand. And this verse is written underneath him. Oh, heaven, 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 thy corners would be sufficiently empty were it not that Zion is nursing for thee children upon the earth. And you are those. Isn't that wonderful? And you know, in the 1730s, Daniel, a young guy, broke bread 
uttered the words of the litany, lifting our lovely Saviour up for the people in their minds. And as he was uttering the words of the litany, Llangaethor became a gate. People, grown tough men, fell flat on the floor. It wasn't a dream. Do you remember Pilgrim's Progress? Christian is given a glimpse of heaven, isn't he? Through that spyglass on the hill. Let me read it. By this time, the pilgrims had a desire to go forward. Are you desiring that, by the way? Or are you too settled here? Maybe, you, I don't know, you live in one of the nice areas in Cardiff and you're quite happy. The pilgrims had a desire to go forwards and the shepherds a desire they should. So they walked together. I desire that you should have that desire. And they walked together to the end of the mountains and then said the shepherds one to another, let us here show to the pilgrims the gates of the celestial city if they have skill to look through our perspective glass. So they take them up a hill called Clear. And you'll remember the rest of it. They, they essay to look, but the remembrance of that last thing that the shepherds had showed them made their hands shake. Death isn't going to be a walk in the park, is it? Their hands are shaking, and yet they hold the glass and the shepherds steady their hand. That's my job. I meant to steady your hand here this evening. And yet, they thought they saw something like the gate and also some of the glory of the place. Some of the glory of the place. If you're a Christian here this evening, it is possible for us to experience a little bit of heaven on earth. Being united to Christ, our future is guaranteed. Guaranteed. We are washed in the blood of the Lamb. We can go through that fire because He was the perfect sacrifice. United to Him, we have an inheritance. I don't know if you've ever been disappointed by inheritances or wills. Oh, you have an inheritance incorruptible. That's not going to be a disappointment. That's not going to fade away. We're heading there. For now, we must show heaven in our work, in our families, in our homes. May our children have fortis of heaven around the family worship time. Do you even have family worship anymore? Or is it just something they did when they were a bit more extreme? Is Heath the Bethel? Oh, may it be so. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. We may in measure live in heaven now when we meet with God in our quiet times, and especially when we survey, when we survey that wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, died he for me who took my blame. Have you surveyed the cross recently? It's the gateway to heaven. The Bible tells us that he's with us always, but there are times when he embraces us. It's a forgotten thing in the West. And the best way to describe those moments of embracing, he's always holding your hand, yeah? 
Don't come to me out there and say, yeah, but God is with me always. I know that. But there are times, I think like another minister said, we're embraced. The best way to describe those moments, a heaven on earth. So we've thought a little bit about what heaven is this evening through the eyes of the patriarch Jacob. Pray that heaven's kingdom would extend and spread through Cardiff. Please pray that. Pray that he would return. Are you praying, Maranatha? We need him. First and foremost, my friends, heaven exists for God's glory, not for you, for God's glory. It's God's home, but he's inviting you there. He's inviting you home. Just like my little boy coming across the seven is jumping. I hope nobody would stop you jumping for joy here tonight. If it was real, if it was genuine, because Christians are meant to be happy people, expectant people, not grumpy people. If you're not a Christian here this evening, why not? Why not? It's all there prepared for you. God loved the world that he gave his ladder, this ladder, the beautiful Lord Jesus Christ, that whoever believes on him shall not die, but have everlasting life. Is he speaking to you tonight? Don't ignore him, because it might be the last time he speaks to you. I remember my grandfather preaching a sermon where Jericho was put in our minds. And you remember in Jericho, the ancient people looked and Jesus of Nazareth passed by. You know, he never came back there. May it never be that you would say, oh, I wish, I wish I'd listened to that youngster that night. This life is a mere flicker, a flicker of the great everlasting. Don't ignore the call tonight. Will I see you there? Will I see you there? I really look forward to it. Where the unnumbered throng, heaven is no empty place. God's glory and the people, multitudes singing his glory, extolling the death of Calvary. Calvary in heaven's unending song. Oh, heaven, heaven. We long for a taste of it, even, even in our little lives. Turn to him. Have your eyes, start lifting your eyes this Sunday, right? I hope that as the Sundays go on, that our eyes will be lifted higher and higher. And like those children in Narnia in the last battle, we'll go further up and further in. For his name's sake, amen. We'll now sing uh, about that glorious future of the saints. 809-809. Forever with the Lord. Amen. Amen. So let it be. Life from the dead is in that word. Tis immortality. Let's, Brian's ready. Let's go. <laughs>
God, oh God, we pray that we would once more be heavenly-minded, that we would have Christ in close intimacy in our minds and in our hearts and in our tongues and in our actions, that we would be ready, that we would be in that departure lounge of St. Paul this morning, and with eyes like the patriarch Jacob, we would have them fixed on the darling of heaven. And now, Lord, we pray that in, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of your clean and holy spirit dwell with each one of you now and forevermore. Amen.